Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, we are in uh, a series called United, and it's a letter to the Ephesians. Um, Ephesians really means uh, people from Ephesus uh, in uh, Western Turkey, and, uh, and actually this was a circular letter that went to all kinds of fledgling communities of believers in that first century from the Apostle Paul. And uh, so we're studying this incredible letter. It's rich. It's deep. It has so many good things that are in it. Uh, it's, it's, it's very theological. And uh, one of the things that's a challenge is to, um, is to make sure that the theology actually has practical application. And so we're going to work on that today. And uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to go for it. I don't, I don't know if you remember, um, do you remember rotary phones? Rotary phones, like like the little circle, and there are people who don't. Yeah, you like turn it and everybody born after like 1990 has no idea what I'm talking about. And here's the weird part: most of you, you think, oh, born at 1990. Yeah, those people are 23 years old now, 25 years old now. Oh my goodness, I don't. I I, I remember when the first cell phones came out, right? Um, first cell phones, and, and, and they were huge. I think my first cell phone was called a bag phone. A bag phone. It like, was a phone in a bag. <laughs> and you carried it around like a dork. <laughs> I, got a phone, I got a phone bag. <laughs> and it was, like, it was like really, like it was, exp- sorry, <laughs> that was a little too... Too rough there uh, uh, on on all the dorks. But anyway, I I had I had this phone bag and I'm carried around and I was given it to to given it to I was given it wow I was given it by the church that I was working for. It was a, kind of a larger church and we were experimenting with just being available to people and and m- making us more available. And so I was a I was a young man. I was 25 years old and I was poor. I was broke. And I was driving this like little Subaru hatchback <laughs> that was all rusted out. It was, it was, you know, already 15 years old or something. And it was, a, it was, it was just this awful looking vehicle. And I remember pulling up to stoplights in front of, you know, as I would, I was, I was driving it and I would be talking on my bag phone <laughs> in this piece of junk wreck. Right. And I, I remember people looking at me like, what, you're driving that car with a bag phone. That doesn't even make sense. Why don't you buy a new car with all that money you got? <laughs> but the bag phone was a really brilliant idea. And, I, you know, at that moment, I didn't, have any, I didn't have any idea. I don't think anybody really did at how many things we would be doing in the future on our phones. Right, like, 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 how many things I can do with this phone? Did, I mean, I couldn't imagine it. I can pay my bills on this phone right here. I can, I can, read the Bible on this device. It's much more than a phone, of course. It's a little tiny computer that I'm carrying around. But it's, but I, but it, it, it has sprung sort of out of the phone, and I couldn't imagine how phones would be utilized. I can take pictures. I can. I can look at the weather every single day. I think I may be addicted to the weather app. 
I, all, I want to know what the weather's like every moment of every day. <laughs> I think I may have a problem. And so there's, this, there's so many things that, can, that I can do with this. And I think, I think this, that kind of story is a little bit like what it's like to be a Christian, that you, you come to Christ and there is this amazing experience, this amazing revelation of who Christ is and what his life is all about. And you begin to, to walk with him, but you have no idea how far it's going to go. You have no idea what's going to be possible or what may be revealed in the future that over and over again, he's going to reveal things that you couldn't have imagined on your own for your life, for your soul, for your heart, for what he wants you to do. And that's why Paul says in the first chapter in verse 17 of Ephesians, he says, I'll pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you would receive this spirit, wisdom, revelation, so that you could know God better, so that you could know what's possible, so that you could know what's coming. Because there is a, a, a limit. Right now, you, seem, you feel like you have a limited capacity, but God's going to expand your capacity. And there's going to be things that happen in your life that you're amazed at. And that's, that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning as we begin in chapter 2 in the first 10 verses. Let's pray. Father, would you let the word of God come alive, illuminate our hearts and minds, create more capacity today to receive from you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm reading from the New International Version. Verse 1 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I want you to pause right here and realize that Paul is saying that once these people were dead, there was a deadness to their lives to their souls. But then he follows it quickly by saying, you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. The, the New Living Translation says this, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. Right. I sort of want that movie guy voice to come on and say, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. One man. No. <laughs> there is an unseen world that is spiritual. And the spiritual realm is a reality that really shapes how we live in our physical realm. It shapes how we live. That's your first fill-in-the-blank notes. Is with the spiritual realm is a reality that shapes how we live. We, we should learn to understand that every part of our lives has a spiritual reality. And he's describing people who were dead in their sins and how they are influenced by this ruler of the power of the air. One of his best influences, one of his greatest deceptions is to convince people that there is no spiritual realm. Or that if there is a spiritual realm, that... I can explain it all 
with logic and with my intellect. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a spiritual realm going on around us. And I, and I think all you got to do is look at, look at movies, look at TV, look at all this stuff. There, there's a certain sense that people believe it. But they don't understand how Jesus fits into it or how God wants them to live because they're being influenced by this, this really, this commander of the dark forces of the air. And they're, and, and they're filled with a certain unbelief and a certain reaction to these spiritual issues. I like how the Message Bible talks about it. The Message Bible is a modern-day translation, and Eugene Peterson wrote this. He said, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. Right, like, you, like, you're, like it's just all around you. You don't even realize it's happening and you're just breathing in the world as, the, as it is, as you understand it because your eyes have not been opened. You haven't acknowledged that there is a spiritual war wrestling for your soul. Ephesians 6, 12, which is later in the book, right? The very same book says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. I think people breathe in this unbelief and then they exhale disobedience because they're trying to fill their lives with something. I think it's really hard to live as a dead person. It's really hard to live as a dead person because we keep doing things to try to make us feel alive. We, try, we keep doing things that make us feel alive, that, that we, we want to feel more alive, so we do incredibly adventurous things. We do dangerous things. We want to feel more alive, so we engage in, a, in a physical intimacy, sexuality that, is, that, that just is a, an attempt to fill us, to make us feel alive, to make us feel true. Have you ever heard anybody say this? To make us feel truly human. Yeah. For the Christian, the model of humanity comes through Jesus. Jesus is the one who lives as the truest human, the way God originally designed us to live. Jesus is that. He is that illustration. But when we, dis when we reject him or if we don't embrace him, there's a constant f trying to fill our lives with, with this, these ideas, these things that, that feed our sinful nature. Romans 8.6 says, Those who live according to the flesh or the sinful nature have their minds set on what that flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the Spirit, check it out, what is it? Life, life and peace. Real life, real peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. It is not possible to please God when your body or your flesh or your sinful nature drives every decision. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like it, we're all made 
of a body, a soul. And for the Christian, there is a, a, the, the Holy Spirit that is the new birth. So you, you, most people live and their body is the one that makes all the decisions, the cravings of their body. Their body drives them and whatever their body wants is what their body gets. In American culture, that has resulted in a level of um, unhealth and obesity. Because we're just driven by our bodies, by our cravings without anything else or anyone else to turn that. Some people are just, they, 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 they put their soul in charge. Put their soul in charge so that their mind, their will, and their emotions are really deciding everything. And they may have control over their body. They may have created a, an environment where they can, they can physically, like, like really uh, make their body healthy, right? Like you'll see them running around town like, their bodies are really strong. There's, I mean, Austin is an athletic town. It is, it, is a, it is a city that has a certain amount of health, and they'll make sure, but pretty soon, if they don't understand how the world works, the spiritual forces that are working around them, they will suddenly make their bodies their God, their idol. And they'll have it under, un, under control, but, but instantaneously, it also becomes the driving force. The mind and will and emotions is a different thing. It, it sometimes, that's the intellect that keeps us from ever acknowledging that there's a spiritual realm. It's the intellect. If I can understand it and describe it, then I can believe it. Some people are just driven by their emotions. They are just consumed by the way their emotions function and they give into it. If they feel happy, everything's great, they go nuts. If they feel really sad, they try to medicate. Because their emotions are driving them. They get angry at people easily. But for the Christian, for the person who knows God, for the person who responds to Jesus Christ himself, for what, G what Paul calls, uh, he describes this as, in Christ united with Christ Jesus. That means there has been a spiritual rebirth. There has been a, a moment where you've been born again, and the Holy Spirit is now beginning to be in charge of your life. And, the, and what Paul is talking about here is, is an arguing, a tension between who's really going to be in charge, who's going to govern every decision. And what Paul is advocating is, is we've got to put the Holy Spirit in charge of our lives, that Jesus is in charge and sent us the Holy Spirit to live in us and, and direct our steps, direct our lives. God's Spirit comes alive in us. It, it, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, that sounds familiar, same author, different book. In Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. You know what that requires? Faith. Because right. even when the old cravings are still there, that creates the tension. You'll either believe that you're not new and you'll give in to the sinful cravings or you'll believe that Christ is doing a work in your life and that there is a process going on and you have been renewed and there is a new person who is, by the way, working itself out. Not outside in, but inside out. That's how Christianity works. It doesn't work with self-control in. It works from the Holy Spirit working out in your life. 
And the body and the mind, here's the interesting thing, the body and the mind, the mind, will, and emotions, the body and the soul are in cahoots with the ruler of the kingdom of the, of the air. Cahoots. You like that? They're, 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 they feed off each other. There's an influence. Notice what, notice what the Apostle Paul says in verse 3. All of, us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. This is an interesting phrase. By nature, we were objects of wrath. Let me just take a moment to say this. The problem... The problem for us is that sin separates. Sinfulness, resisting God, disobedience to, to his, uh, his story, his ideas, his uh, laws, uh, disobedience separates. Sin separates and creates suffering. And ultimately, people end up choosing, right, to one way or the, one way or the other. The love of Christ has been displayed. Romans says that Jesus came and died for us while we were still sinners, is what it says. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, displaying his love. And so there's a lot of talk about God's love, but for those who reject God's love, there is no other option than to live under his wrath, being separated from him. There is, a, there is a, a, a problem with the way we think about this. We're not comfortable thinking about God and his judgment. But if it is his narrative and his story and his creation, then it makes sense that he would be the judge. But here's what's so beautiful. Here's what's so wonderful. He made Christ the judge. And he made Christ the sacrifice. And he made Christ the mediator. He made Christ the one who loved us. And then, and then as he loves us, as he demonstrates his love for us, we move from the discipline, from the suffering that sin creates. And the wall is broken down and we are embraced by God the Father himself. This was God's plan. This is his purpose. But make no mistake, people can choose to live under that suffering, under that judgment. And so here we are in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Everybody say rich. rich. He's rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions and sins. Even when we were running around trying to feed our sinful nature, trying to, make us, trying to help us feel alive. He gave us his grace. He made us alive with Christ when we received him, when we accepted him. And it is by grace that we have been saved. Verse 6, and God, now this is the key scripture of, for, our, for our time today. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. No one can say it's their own work. No one can say I was good enough. Salvation doesn't come because of good works, because I'm a good person. Salvation only comes through Christ. 
not by works so that no one can boast. So, so in a sense, we're not, we're not supposed to try to do good works to get to God. What we're supposed to do is go to Christ. Verse 10 says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So, so on one, in one verse, we're like, no, no good works. I don't want, you can't boast about this, this process, this love that Christ has given us. It's not for you to boast. It's not for you to take credit for it. Jesus is the only one who offers it by his favor and by his grace. And then in the very next verse, it says, for you're God's workmanship. You're, you were created by God in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You're going to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, this is an incredible little section. And the name of the, name of the, of the message today is have a seat. Have a seat. Because when this says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, we're talking about our spiritual life. Seated in Christ, that's your next fill in the blank. Seated in Christ, raised up with him, this defines, determines your spiritual life. It determines our position in Christ, who we are as God's people. What this is all about. This is our position in Christ Jesus. We're not striving, we're surrendering. We're not forcing we're yielding. And so there's two areas of our life that I think this profoundly affects, right? And these two areas are praying and the good works that we're called to do. I think, I think the interaction with, with God and the, and the way that we function in trying to, to do good things is really a big deal. So here's the first idea. I think the first big idea is when you understand that you've been seated with Christ. Where does it say we're seated with him? Can you look at it? Where are we? We're, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. All right. Go back to verse 19. Uh, I can't, I don't want to take time. Verse 21. There you go. This is describing Christ. This is describing Christ. He's describing the power that comes from Christ. And it says, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So when you come to Christ, you are seated with him because you are in him and he is in you. It's a spiritual dynamic, right? And it can be confusing for people. Like they're like, well, how does this really work? I think that's why Paul prays for wisdom and revelation. Because you've got to see what Christ has done for you. And when you're seated with him, I think it profoundly affects your prayer life and affects the way you pray because we have such a myopic view of our world. Jesus himself is far above all rule and dominion and sees everything the way it should be. He sees it all, but we see through this little myopic view. This, we have tunnel vision of our lives, and we're asking God to do stuff, and we're praying, and we're saying, God, will you please do this? I want you to do this right here. I need this job. I need this bonus. I need this to happen. I need you to make this happen. And we're praying from earth, begging him to do things rather than praying from heaven, 
where we see that he is Lord over all, where we see that he has all authority, where we see that he is far above all rule and power, and that one day he will exert that power once and for all when he returns, and that we're part of that journey, and that he is going to, for us and with us, walk with us, have a, his journey is, is in us and through us. He's going to work him, his way and his will and his purpose. And we see life through this lens. We see life through the Jesus contact lenses, through Jesus glasses, through Jesus LASIK surgery. <laughs> you start seeing the world in a different way. So what is that? What is that way? We belong to another kingdom. Philippians 3.20 says, we, we, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship begins to change. And there's a Savior who, who, is, who is there. And we're actually in him. We're part of what he's doing in the earth. We see circumstances from a different perspective. This kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's a, so we're praying from a place where we understand that we're called to forgive instead of stay bitter. We pray from a position of generosity because we know we have everything in Christ instead of tight-fisted and controlling. We, we serve people instead of rule over them. We pray from a, a, a position of strength because we're in Christ, but that means since we understand that all power and authority has been given to him, we, like him, John 13, can serve with strength, with courage, we humble ourselves instead of lifting ourselves up. We embrace our weaknesses instead of hiding them so God, God's power can be displayed. We worship God. We praise God. We, have, we pray no matter what our circumstances. Why? Because we know he's in charge and he's working all things together for our good. We see the reality of, of his power and we see the reality of his truth and we see the, we see the reality of what's happening in the world and how, how violent it can be and we're called to peace. I want you to consider that the, the purpose of prayer may be more about oneness than it is about business. It may be more about oneness and you figuring out how Christ wants to work through you to answer these prayers. Because if, if prayer is more about oneness than business, it has all these implications. Because when, when, it, when this little verse says, you are seated with Christ, all right? Are you, are you guys with me? When it says you're seated, what it means, it literally means to take a seat with, to sit down with him. If you and I will sit down with him every day, if you and I will realize that there is a, a, a sharing, a fellowship, a connectedness, that is really powerful. It changes the way we pray. We think differently. Look at Matthew 6, 7 through 8 says, and when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. It's not about how many words you know when you pray. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, this, this is a mystery. So if he knows what I need, why do I, have to, why, why do I need to ask him? Because prayer is really about wanting what he wants. Prayer is really about this, Lord, Jesus, this is what's going on, and I really want you to do this, but at the end of the day, I want you to do what you want to do, not what I want to do, because I want this, but I want what you want more than what I want. 
And I want you more than this thing. And I, I, want you, I want to want what you want. So would you make this what I want? But not just what I want, but what you want. <laughs> it's just, it's, it, there's tension. There's a struggle. Sounds like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, not my will, but yours be done. So much of prayer is about getting on the same page with God. If you look at the Lord's Prayer pattern, you see that he's defining a relationship when he says, our Father. Hallowed be your name. You're talking about worshiping him. You're talking about putting him in the place of authority in your life. Let your kingdom come. You're talking about surrendering to his will and his purposes and his plans, cooperating with him. This is how Jesus told us to pray. This is how Jesus taught us to pray, that we're giving up our daily bread. We're praying about it, absolutely, but we're acknowledging that he's the one in a position of provision for us. We're not the only one producing for our lives. Forgive us as we forgive. Lord, we, give us the strength to forgive. Give us the power to forgive. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. Lord, I want to express your forgiveness because for, I know how much I need forgiveness. Notice how everything in the prayer revolves around what he's done, not about what you do. That even your strength to forgive another is only because you've been forgiven. I want you to see, lead us not into temptation. It's about protection from him. Prayer is about gaining Christ's perspective instead of keeping our own. It's like getting a Google Earth view, right? You ever check that out? Google Earth, you can go all over the planet, and you can see stuff from satellite. How does this work? I don't know how it works all the time, but I know it works itself out from internal. If you think about it, you think about how this works, right? I can tell you, I don't know how this works. I know that there is a cloud somewhere, I know there's a something that has a cloud in it, and, or that, that, that the information is in a cloud, and somehow that cloud dispenses information to this device. And this device, I, and, 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 I, and I interact with the cloud, and, and, it, and it shares device, and it shares information, and I get tons of information on this device because I got unlimited space in the cloud. Are you seeing the analogy? I got tons of information. I got tons of access to things that I'd never have if I didn't have a cloud. Now, sometimes the cloud doesn't work. But you know what I found? Is most of the time, it's because of operator error. <laughs> Not because there's something wrong with the cloud. Or because there's something wrong with the device. I want you to see that, that what Christ is doing here is helping us to see things from his perspective instead of ours. How do you pray for the city of Austin? Don't beg him to eliminate the things that he already wants eliminated. You already know what he wants eliminated. Our job is to get in touch with what he wants to happen, what his vision, what his purpose is. And so we pray for, for peace and conversation instead of division and violence. We give our energy and our prayers to, to in, engaging people with integrity and honesty rather, rather than injustice or deceit. We pray these things would unearth themselves. We, we pray that Jesus would have his way and his purpose in Austin. And then finally, this second idea, and I don't have enough time to do it. In fact, I don't have time to do it at all. So I'm just going to give you the fill in the blank so you can feel like you've accomplished something. <laughs> Here it is. We rest in Christ's work. 
instead of working for Christ. This has to do with all of our good works that the Apostle Paul tells us that we're going to do. And what I, what I want you to see is that the prayer that you have, the way you're seated in Christ, your position in Christ, is the power for good works. You can't have one without the other. The, the power from God comes, it's like, it's like a car and you're driving a car, right? What do you do when you drive a car? You sit. You're seated, but there's another force that is at work propelling you along. This is how it is in Christ. You're seated in Him. You sit in Him. You are, re you are relaxed. Sitting is what you do when you're done with work. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father because He has finished His work. Your work in salvation is finished. You can sit down with Him and share with Him. And as you sit down with Him and share fellowship and engage with Him and united with Him, oneness begins to occur in your own soul and your own heart with Him that suddenly you realize there's a force propelling you with power moving you forward, moving you to do good works, moving you to do things that you couldn't do on your own. And those good works are what God planned for you from the very beginning. But they cannot be done in your own strength. We all have good works that we're going to do, but it's the source of the works that matter. People try to do good works all the time, trying to be good, trying to take care of people. Try, and you know what happens? They burn out. They get overwhelmed. They can't seem to do it all the time. They violate it when they, they selectively violate being good to people depending on what they've, what's happened. We're, we're the people that love our enemies, not just our friends. That's a power that has to come from somewhere else other than us. We cannot be the originators of that. Our good works are the results, not the disciplines. That's your last fill in the blank. Our good works are the results, not the disciplines. The good works are the fruit of being plugged into Christ, the fruit of being connected to the cloud, the fruit of sitting in the car, the results of what Jesus is already doing in us. Close your eyes. I'm going to read this last verse. I want you to listen to it. Last verse. I want you to listen to this. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and it comes from the Message Bible. And it says, this is Jesus talking, and he says this, are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion? Then come to me. Get away with me and recover your life. Some of you have lost your life. Some of you are struggling, you're burned out, trying to, you're trying to do this Christian thing, but it's, you've gotten the wrong picture, you've gotten the wrong idea. And you're living under a performance mentality. God has good works for you, but it only comes. All the, all the work is in surrendering. All the work is in getting away with Him. All the work is yielding to Him. I'll show you how to take a real rest, Jesus says. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Of, this, of favor in your life. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. 
Jesus has a way of working that's better than your and I's ways of, way of working, than our way of working. We work and strive and struggle to accomplish, to try to make things happen. Jesus has a way of working. He says here in this little passage, he says, I want you to get connected with me. This is the passage where he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, his instrument of work, the way he works is totally different. He wants to show you how he works and he wants to show you how to work. He has good works for you, but you got to do it the way he does it. So with your eyes closed and your head bowed, I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you while we prepare to receive communion. We're going to finish our service today. We're going to finish our time together with coming to the Lord's table. And I want you to think about his provision. The bread which describes and illustrates his body cup which represents his blood for forgiveness and I, and I want you to receive that forgiveness I want you to I, I want you to allow Jesus to speak to you be, to become one with him today by taking him in by surrendering all by yielding to him it doesn't mean you're not going to work it means you're going to work differently <laughs> with his provision, his strength, his grace, his wisdom.